Hello, hello, and welcome to Shit You Wish You Learned in Grad School. I am your host, Jennifer Agee, Licensed Clinical Professional Counselor. With me today is Lisa Dewey. She is the CEO of Turning Point Counseling and Consulting, and you are in for a real treat with this topic today. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So tell me, Lisa, what is something that you wish you learned in grad school? Oh, goodness. Um, I think, you know, differential diagnosis between all these uh, letters that we have, BPD, bipolar disorder, chronic PTSD. I think that's just, that's a nuance that we need a little bit more help with. Yeah, I agree. It's something that comes up a lot in clinical supervision um, where we're really talking about these different diagnoses because there's so much overlap. It gets very difficult, especially for newer clinicians who aren't as familiar with the nuance of how these different things look. Um, so I'm really glad we're talking about it today. Thank you for being on the show. You're welcome. You know, I was thinking about this topic in particular, and it's almost like these three are like, um, they're twins. They're not identical twins but, or triplets. I'm sorry, but they're, they're triplets, but they're not identical, but they are definitely um, related, very related. Yeah. Well, and I think a, a lot of the current thinking about borderline personality disorder um, and complex PTSD specifically, I'm going to put um, borderline, or I'm going to put bipolar disorder to the side here for a second, but Specifically with BPD and complex PTSD, one of the the things that I'm hearing a lot about is just really looking at it as complex trauma and attachment wounds. Is that mm -hmm. the lens that you start to see these things as well? I do. I'm a, I'm a trauma therapist, so I, I see everything that way. And I think um, as I kind of came up in the field when I learned that BPD is a response is a trauma response. I, I definitely understood it a lot better. Um, that it is, you know, at its core, um, you know, working with the self that that has just not been developed, or uh, the self that thinks they're going to be abandoned, and and that does form in childhood. Yeah, um, and it is so hard. We what we know right now from neuroscience is that up to about thirty six months of age is when most of our neural networks for attachment are formed. At least that's the last. Latest things I've been reading, um, yeah. and if those traumas happen really early in life, they're very difficult for people to overcome, and people find all sorts of adaptive ways to continue to have their needs met. Yeah, because I mean, at, at our core, human, we're going to survive, and it's our human need to belong, and you know, we're going to belong one way or another. And the you know, the underregulation of the distress of BPD is just that person trying to survive is trying to survive trying to notice me, notice me, notice me. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't play well in certain situations. What are some of the primary characteristics that you look for when you are trying to differentiate between, let's say, BPD, bipolar, and CPTSD? So BPD is a personality disorder. So that's that pattern thought that someone has. Um, Underregulation of... Um, intense distress related to perceived abandonment and sometimes actually real abandonment. Um, so it differentiates from PTSD because PTSD and CPTSD is overregulation of things. So that's my big clue is how do they control their environment? Um, does someone with um, 
BPD is always trying to do more, do more, do more. You know, that that famous book, I Hate You, Don't Leave Me, where you're kind of confused, where someone with PT, CPTSDT, these, all these acronyms are, um, you know, a little bit numb sometimes. So it's yeah. that over-regulation versus numbing. Mm, that's, that's a really good point. One of the things I've noticed a lot with... Um, borderline BPD is that clients will often really talk about that emptiness, right? That, that internal sense of emptiness that comes from that root of abandonment. And one of the things I've talked to a lot of my clinical supervisees about when we're talking about BPD versus uh, borderline, I'm sorry, BPD, (laughs) we've got so many acronyms here. It's like crazy. When we're talking about borderline personality disorder versus bipolar disorder is that although there are some very similar looks and feels in terms of that emptiness does often come with pretty low lows and those feelings of connection Mm -hmm. or pursuit of someone or new connections can come with really high highs, the motivation and energy shifting is really different. So with, um, BPD, I've noticed that there's usually a a precursing event that happens, right? Either withdrawal of attention or affection or the lavish or new connection of attention or affection that then increases the behaviors that you see. Whereas with bipolar disorder, those energetic shifts, although sometimes can be prompted by external stimuli, often are happening in the body as a part of the, its cycle or regulation. And so those flows can come without a prompt. So for example, I've had many clients who've said, I can tell a few days before one of my episodes, a bipolar um, episode is going to happen. I can just feel that I'm off. I know something's not right. Um, yeah. And then I slip into a major depression and I feel horrible or I even have suicidal thoughts but it doesn't match my life. Everything in my life is actually going pretty good. Job's good, spouse is good, whatever. Right. But I just want to get in the bathtub and cry. It and doesn't match. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas right. with the, right. I think um, go ahead. I was going to say, I just think it's the um, difference between the mood versus being empty. You know, the, the, the regulation of the up and down, up and down. Like you said, the, the mood doesn't fit the circumstance. Yeah. Um, versus just that would be bipolar disorder. And there's a bunch of different kinds of that versus just feeling empty all the time and trying to regulate and do something with that emptiness and, you know, um, go towards someone because you're feeling abandoned and you can't, you know, really work with an emotion or you can't understand a relationship. And you're really not clear of who you are. I think somebody with bipolar disorder is probably a little bit more clear about who they are mm-hmm. than somebody with borderline, like their yeah. sense of self. Yeah, the sense of self often with clients who have borderline personality disorder is shifting and changing based on who they need to be in order to receive acceptance from the person that they're trying to receive that from. At least that's what I found. Yeah, I think so. I think, and then I think what happens is they, for whatever reason, they're not doing the emotional regulation. They haven't been, they haven't had the model of the emotional regulation. Um, and I always tell it's like, everything is, everything is like at a 500 level when most things in life are at a two, but everything's right. at a 500. 
So they don't understand how to filter what's what's not 500 and what is 500. And so everything is 500. Mm-hmm. And so everything is an abandonment. Yeah. And okay. everything is, whereas somebody that's a little bipolar, it's almost like they they know it. They know it's coming. Just like you said, they know, they can tell, they can tell when the mood, when they can tell when their mood is going to shift. Um, although with borderline personality disorder, you do have mood swings. Um, it's just that length and frequency that's different with the two. Yeah. And I, and I think because of the mood shifts that take place, that's why a lot of people with borderline personality disorder often get duly diagnosed with bipolar disorder because yeah, um, sometimes it genuinely may fit, but also I think sometimes when you see some of these more extreme behaviors sometimes come out, um, people people don't have the time when they're in the ER room or whatever where someone is maybe being uh, being seen for an episode, they put whatever's down that fits. They don't necessarily take the time to dive deep into what is the root cause of what has triggered this I response agree. or this reaction. Yeah. And, and like I said, they're tough because they're cousins mm-hmm. and they're so, um, they're very similar. I mean, it, and if you don't understand the nuance of the under-regulation versus like the mania, the dips in mood, it it can look the same. And I see a lot of people that have both and it is hard to tease it out. Yeah. Um, sometimes they'll come in and they'll be bipolar and I'll, I'll ask them about medication and they will be on medication for bipolar disorder. Um, and I'm like, what, why, or for whatever choices, but, but, uh, it ends up being that the person, it ends up that something gets a little bit more, that the diagnosis becomes a little bit more clear that it's one versus the other. Right. And I think that's where the benefit of time with the client comes in, because as you get Mm -hmm. to know them, you you'll see either the mood shifts that come or go, uh, you know, regardless of external stimuli, or you'll see the patterns of behavior that come up with relationships that they're in and and around. And I know for me, um, this is my woo woo part of myself, but there is a feeling hmm. often that I will feel when I have a client uh-huh. that has borderline personality disorder. It's a, for me, it's like a very felt. Experience. I do too. We, yeah, we do too. It's funny because we were talking about that at staffing the other day about how we kind of just know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how we know, but we know. Yeah, for me, it's my my strong nurturer first gets pulled up, right? I think that helper yeah. in me feels, I can feel the the gaping wound of attachment in there. And that helper yeah. healer in me, it pulls out my nurturing part of self. And so if I'm finding myself feeling those feelings when I'm with the client, that's one of my tells that I need to be aware of what's happening in the room, what's happening within myself and what their system is trying to tell or convey to my system. And it's almost like they are reaching for you and they need more from you than you can give them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they want more, more of a relationship, more, 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 more. And, and they are looking for you to be that figure that they are looking for you not to abandon that, but they're looking for you to be that figure that they did not have. Yeah. Um, and it is tough. Um, it's tough. It's a tough, um, but I, I don't want to ever lose hope um, because there are treatment and there are treatment options that work very well. Yeah. Uh, but that's something I never want to lose hope for people. I know that, you know, BPD gets a rap 
sometimes it's not great, but you know, also uh, there's hope. Absolutely. I mean, lots of people heal from this um, and learn to re-regulate their systems better. What is it that you feel when you're in the room with a client that has BPD? What does your system tell you? Oh gosh, I just, I think it's more the conversation that we have when I start to understand like, okay, I'm not following. I don't understand what's actually going on. And I get a little bit, um, kind of a, a little bit of a, I don't know. I don't think my nurturer comes out, but I get a little bit of a chill or just, you know, I, I, my gut kind of tells me, and I just kind of tell myself, go with your gut, go with your gut. This is kind of what you're saying. Um, the way that they speak gets a little confusing to me because you have the undercurrent of, um, you know, secondary gain every time what they're talking about, secondary gain. And, and most people with borderline personality disorders will tell you. Yeah. Um, and so they'll walk into the office and they'll sit down and they say, I have BPD. Okay, here we go. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, there have been, I've had a couple of clients who... I'm misdiagnosed. I mean, I have to own that. I, I absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's not hard them. to do. It's not. And, but here's how it's I figured not. out that I had misdiagnosed them with bipolar when it was really BPD that was the primary issue we needed to be working on. It was when other people in their life came into the session. And then when I heard mm-hmm. the totally dueling versions of reality of what happened, You're like, something's not right. So if three members of your family are telling the story one way and you are reporting the story in a very different way where you are completely the victim of the story um, and the other members of the family may discuss how, yes, there there might've been a hurt that was created and then you, you know, threatened to hang yourself in front of the family. I mean, there are chunks of information that then when other people came in, I was like, oh, I really missed that. I missed it. Yeah, because you were the one side of it. And often because of abandonment issues, I think a lot of borderlines do have the the victim, you know, the victim mentality type thing. And, you know, because they don't really have that secure sense of self. So they they will paint themselves in a light where people feel sorry for them and they need that. And I think that's that needing of nurturing. And if you feel sorry for me, you're not going to leave me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's what comes up in me, uh, that nurturing yeah. that comes up in me, which also, because I've been a therapist for more than 22 years now, now what comes up when I notice that strong, strong nurturer oh. comes up is also a warning signal on the inside to be mindful of, um, how I am interacting with this person so that I don't do harm unintentionally by becoming overly nurturing right. or by um, having yeah. fuzzier boundaries and letting them, you know, contact me after hours or different things like that. And I know different modalities yeah. are open to contact after hours, but if that's not a part of your practice and that's not a part of the boundaries that right. you have with your client, you know, absolutely you don't need to do that. Just, but you spell it out in informed consent and you, you keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's all these yeah. little nuanced things that once once you have experienced it a few times and pay attention to how you feel with different diagnoses, I found that that's really good information. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I kind of usually get a little a little um little stand up on the back of my neck a little bit sometimes. Um mm-hmm. and that that gut you have to trust it 
um, because you do know, you know, therapists, we do understand we're very intuitive and we do understand people. We, we understand people, I think, more than we give ourselves credit for. And Definitely. It's, very, it's very interesting because um, manipulation is a high part of working with clients who have borderline personality disorder, right? And I don't yeah. judge that because that's a part of them trying to meet a need, right? And yeah. so um, just like a toddler will try and meet needs in, in really unhealthy ways to get your attention, you know, throwing the cup at your head or something if you're not paying attention <laughs> to them, right? Yeah. Sometimes they the reaction is bigger um, than you would like in order for them to get your attention. And so I don't, I don't judge it, but I think a lot of therapists are also pretty tuned in to manipulation and we can feel it in the room. Mm -hmm. And then this, I've noticed for myself, this interesting dynamic I have to internally work against happens where the very thing that they are really, really desiring for me because of the manipulation and my own stuff becomes the one thing I don't want to give them, right? Um, so for example, that um, pay attention to me, pay attention to me. I've got urgent things happening all the time outside a session and I need you to pay attention because it's it's trying to be taken from me in a manipulative way, some part of me does not want to give that. And so I know that's that's my own yeah. stuff that comes up, but I do notice that that's a dynamic that I have to be super aware of when I am working with clients that do have a diagnosis of borderline. Yeah, and I find with clients that have a diagnosis of borderline that I can be a little bit more direct with them about some of my statements about, hey, you are doing this, you are being manipulative right now. You And they receive that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I may not say that to everyone in, or I might say it in a different way, but I find that sometimes it's okay to be a little bit more just, you're gonna call it because it's that part of themselves that they don't understand that you are trying to reach, but they can't access that part yet. They don't have the insight. So they can't self-introspect. They can't introspect and say, oh yeah, I guess I am being a little bit more. So you can say to them, hey, you know, when you called me at three o'clock in the morning and I didn't pick up, you know, and you are being fast, you know, and you, you know, no, you can say to them those things and they'll receive it where I may not say it to everyone that way. Um, but then yeah. I find that, okay, this kind of works. All right. Let me, let me keep doing this. It's okay. Yeah. Um, because if they're, they are not going to leave you. Right. I, I had a, I had a, a client with borderline who, um, she really needed higher level of care than I could provide. And, um, we do yeah. have some very good, um, comprehensive programs in our area that specialize in borderline personality disorder. They have full, you know, Linehan protocols and all of that stuff. And I don't have Wow, that. yeah. No, I, I just don't. Um, and so I referred her out and she got mad, like obviously perceived it as rejection. And I offered to do all the soft transitions and all of that stuff. But the reality is I was not, I was doing her a disservice by continuing to see her because she really needed more complex wraparound care. And um, there was a yeah. period of time where she she tried to just absolutely wreck my world online. I mean, there's no way around it. It was not a pretty few weeks. Yeah. yeah. And um yeah. and I did call her out on it because I, I I did know that it was her and I knew through some of the things that happened. And um 
she copped to it. You know, she was just like, I was really mad. And, you know, she copped to it completely. And we had a good conversation about it. And I was able to say, I'm not angry with you for doing this. I understand Mm -hmm. that it's a part of your hurt. And when hurt people are hurt, they hurt other people. And I understand that that this was this was just a part of um, of your hurt coming out. And I'm not angry about that. And because I was able to not be reactive with her in the way a lot of other people in her life had been reactive um, when she had done more of these extreme behaviors. To this day, she'll still send me email updates with how she's doing, even though I did not continue to see her, which I took that as a massive, massive win. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's she was regulated enough to understand that and maybe check in with you here and there. I, I think that's that's good. You know, um, and it's just like they have this this very intense intensity about them. Everything is intense because they're they fear they're abandoned. So they're very intense with everything. They're very intense with their therapists. They're very intense with their relationships. They don't understand how to really just take it slow. They don't do that part. Mm-hmm. Um well, sex and sexuality issues around sexuality is another area that I see sometimes um, comes up that could be seen as overlapping both with bipolar disorder and um, borderline personality disorder because Absolutely. often with mania or hypomania comes some sexually acting out behaviors. And often mm-hmm. with borderline personality disorder, there are some sexually acting out behaviors as well, but the motivation is different. Yeah. Yeah. I've had bipolar disorder clients basically said I was manic last week and it was great. It was fun. And, you know, uh, now they're experiencing the the downside of that. And yeah, I think the borderline part of that is the, the instability and the fear of abandonment that I have to do these things in order to keep you mm-hmm. in order to get you to like me. You know, I can't just be me because they have that shift of their self-image. Yeah. Uh, so, um, prevalent. Mm -hmm. And I think for, especially for newer clinicians that are listening to this, when you listen to Lisa and I talk about this, one of the takeaways I want to make sure that you have is really looking at the core motivation of behaviors. Um, Is the core motivation Mm -hmm. of the behavior abandonment or is it an energy shift? That in and of itself is going to tell you a lot of what you need to do, need to know when you're doing differential diagnosing. Yeah, I think that 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 is the key to understanding the difference between a BPD and a bipolar person is where's the energy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where's our energy? Is it in their mood? Is it up and down? Do they feel like they're not thinking about things because their their mania is having them just kind of be all over the place? Or are they taking their energy and they're moving it towards you and they're trying to envelope you in mm. it? What a great phrase. I've not heard that envelope you, but that that is an envelope awesome. you they're going envelope. to make you they're pretty <laughs> huh yeah well I and that I just goes, made that up but anyway. well i mean i think you should <laughs> trademark it or something but um that goes okay to that <laughs> extreme you heard of, it here first <laughs> yeah you heard it here first envelope you but that it goes to that <laughs> extreme of how you are either idealized in the beginning and then when um yeah when it may be challenging starts to take place later in the sessions, as you develop um, a good rapport with the client, they may no longer put you on a pedestal. You may be in the opposite category <laughs> where they are very displeased with you. Right. Because they, have you ever had a border, 
have you ever had a borderline client be mad at you? I mean, you said you have because you've had that online stuff, but it can be pretty intense also. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's hard not to get your over the coals. If they... Yeah, it's hard not to get your own stuff yeah. mixed into that. <laughs> really is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I always like, I would say, don't, you know, I mean, it's hard to tell with people because sometimes when you do outpatient, you don't really know until you know someone, but sometimes it's, if you're working with a, a high population of borderlines, you really have to do self-care. I think with anybody, but borderlines will definitely, since they envelope, um, you really have to take care of yourself. You know, I think with any clinician and any diagnosis, but but this one, um, they are looking to, you know, soothe their abandonment through you. Yeah, I also- um, so That's a little bit of a different level. Mm-hmm. I I agree with you completely. It is, it is a different level, and and even just looking at um, self care, I think getting if this is a population you want to focus on, I think getting good clinical supervision is important oh, because sure. yeah, this is this is a population where I think we are at very high risk of um, not holding healthy boundaries. So, mm-hmm. like for me, I said my strong nurture comes out. Right. And so I have to be very aware because my nurturer wants to come out and heal or rescue of where my roles and my boundaries are and upholding those things. And if you're not talking to anyone about this stuff and slow fades are starting to happen on the back end, you can end up pretty far down uh, away from where your initial boundaries were before you realize it sometimes with these clients, because that that absolutely encouragement that they give you that you are you're the only one who understands me and that really speaks to a lot of our helper healer parts that kind of stuff yeah i I would agree definitely you know there these are all these disorders are all born of trauma and so that you you naturally want to help and i think um it's a lot of velcro there you do have to be careful because you do want to model a healthy relationship you want to be that clinician that shows a borderline, somebody with BPD, what a healthy relationship does look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are, it is a battle sometimes. Yeah. Do you find that when you work with this population um, that you are often a transitional person of healthy attachment until they have other healthy attachments in their life? Or how do you clinically do that? I, I do. Um, it's a lot of talking about... Um, you know, what my role is and some, sometimes a lot of repetitive talking about what I, what I'm going to do, what we can do, what we, what, what I can help you with, what I can't help you with. Do you remember that informed consent that you signed? Do you remember that it said this, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, um, you know, it, it is hard because I have that strong nurturer part too. You know, I have a borderline client that um, she just got a job and she, I was the first person she emailed and I'm, very happy she got the job. I am because it's going to be really good for her and it represents a lot of healing for her. Um, so of course she emailed me when she got it, but then the follow-up was email was, well, what should I wear? And blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, ah, I got to, you know, Hey, uh, let's talk about this next session. See you then. Um, so yeah. that, that's kind of something to, that kind of happens in, in whatever form that, that looks like for that client, but they will, because you are the first probably healthy one of the first healthy relationships they have had um, because they didn't get the benefit of regulation as a kid. Um, I think the example you gave was a perfect example. 
because it, mm-hmm. exactly what happens in that exchange that you just mentioned of um, you're the first person I'm telling about this job, which I have lots of clients who will message me with good news. And I love that, you know, Yeah. then the follow-up part of yeah. it, can you be my big sister? Can you be my mother? Can you be my best friend and yeah. tell me what to wear? Right. And should I bring cookies the first day? Like all of those kinds <laughs> of things is, is the nuanced part of it goes beyond the sharing of the good news, which a lot of clients do into, can you then serve this other role for me? Yeah. Yeah. Because she was looking for that. And, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm happy to talk to you, but I'm going to see you next week. Let's talk about the cookies next week. You know, <laughs> should you bring cookies or not? Probably should, but you know, but it, it is, um, and I'm always happy for clients when they, um, do good things and I get messages too, but with a borderline, you do have a secondary game factor, um, that you always have to watch out for. Well, there's um, secondary gain for them, but honestly, there's secondary gain for the clinician of them yeah. as needed or important in someone's life or right. the only person that's able ever been able to get through to this person. So I think that's why it's tricky and why I really think clinical supervision um, or consultation groups are important if you specifically oh, yeah. work with this population. Yeah, I we do it. Uh, weekly if we can. I think we have a practice where we just kind of walk in each other's office and say, hey, can I staff a case? And I would encourage that for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's necessary. You know, you deserve, to, therapists deserve to have self-care and, you know, to understand um, where their strengths lie and yeah. understand when they need help. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've certainly had success stories with working with all three of these populations of um, working with borderline personality disorder, bipolar disorder, and complex PTSD. And so there's there's always hope on the horizon. Like you said, you never, ever want to lose that hope and, and enjoyment of working with clients. Um, it's also okay to say if you've been working in really a really heavy space for a while with clients and you need lighter a lighter caseload, um, for a little while, you need good yeah. old anxiety and depression. It's okay to shift it up because sometimes <laughs> the energy that you put out with different with clients that have different diagnoses does require something different of you. And it's okay to be honest about that. Yeah. And I think you can say, hey, I just need a couple EAP cases or something, or I just want to talk with someone that's having some job stress. Uh, it's absolutely fine. It's, yes. I think it's, um, I think it's, eth- I, I know it's in our code of ethics to do that. Mm-hmm. work within our scope of practice. So what treatment lens, because I know you guys do a lot of DBT and stuff, like what treatment lens do you treat from? Uh, for borderline and borderline is is a DBT, uh, which which is what works best. And also a little ACT sometimes. I love that. Um, because yeah, I love it too. I've recently been getting into it a little bit more, but just the very easy things for them to remember, accept, choose, take action. Mm -hmm. Um, And they benefit so much from that structure of either that or um, um, DBT of, hey, emotional regulation, let's pull out your worksheet. You know, they they are um, borderline clients are often the students of therapy, I call them. They're the ones where I can say, hey, I got this great workbook. Let's work through it together. Um, where I say, hey, I have this homework and they do it, mm-hmm. you know, 
Yeah, they do it. They'll they'll yeah. do the diary cards for DBT. They'll do the worksheets uh, because in some level, I think they understand um, they want to please, you know, they don't want to be abandoned, but, but you're also helping them, you know, say, Hey, did you, did you get out of thing out of that distress tolerance? Um, you know, because they want to please you. So they'll do the work mm-hmm. and they won't miss their appointments. Yeah, that's uh, true. They, they typically they do don't miss their appointments. Mm-hmm. Nope. And I'll tell you, it, it does pull up, you know, that very compassionate side of me because, uh, the wounds that they carry around are so deep and so painful to walk through the world and feel like you are truly not loved and valued only by someone would be painful. I had asked someone at one point or read it somewhere about, well, how did it, how did it even get to be called borderline? You know, where did that name come from? And the name comes from the fact that they do walk between the world of rational and irrational emotionality. And that's why they are named borderline. Well, I've never heard that. I learned I've, something new today. Yeah, you learned something new. That's Dr. I forgot, Dr. Lester. He's a big personality disorder guy. Um, so he talked about in his training about that's why they're called borderline because they are literally walking the borderline of, you know, I guess, uh, you know, emotional and non-emotional that they, they walk that line every day. And I thought, gosh, that's awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Tough stuff. It gives me a lot of compassion for them. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for being on. This was a really good conversation. And honestly, I wish that someone had had this conversation with me when I started 22 years ago, because yeah, of course. That, that yeah. sometimes we have to learn the hard way. And I'm glad that you're you were here with Yeah. Me. And this was all stuff that I've learned. Nobody had this conversation with me 22 years ago either. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn it. Um, you know, there, there's, uh, I don't know, there's hope there. I always say don't lose hope. No, absolutely. Never lose hope. Yeah, um, never Lisa, how can people get in touch with you? I'm out um, on the East Coast at um, in Virginia Beach, uh, Turning Point Counseling and Consulting. And so our website is Turning Point VA, Virginia on the end. Awesome. Thank you again for being on the podcast. And if you'd like to connect more with me or any of my retreats, counselingcommunity.com or any of the social media links below, get out there and live your best dang life.